And I was in the middle, like a little chef, you know, uh, pumped up uh, on my heels, uh, starting to talk to them. So I said, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I remember she was called Marie-Jo, incredible woman. <laughs> she came to me. She was smaller than me. Finished speaking and she said, okay. She nodded her head. She came next to me. She took my hand and she said, you know, Laura, we are here to work with you. Huh? We want to support you. Lucas, I cried. I got emotional because I was like, she, she read through me, you know? And yeah. she, when I, she saw the tears, she, I wept up very fast. And then she smiled and she said, you know, we know how hard it is for you guys. Welcome to or welcome back to Fashion Care Stories. My name is Lucas Silva Etold. I am a career strategist and leadership coach specialized in the fashion and luxury industry. My role is to help you design a successful life and career in one of the most glamorous industries in the planet, but also one of the most competitive. For that reason, I interview each week fashion professionals at different stages of their career in order to decode their best practices, tactics and strategies. My hope for you is that you will find in this conversation some inspiration and insights that will help you build your professional journey in the world of fashion and luxury. Today, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics. And there is no one better to talk about this topic than Laura Brown. Laura and I are friends, and we go way back to our time at the Institut Français de la Mode. And from day one, I have noticed her charisma and her capacity to lead people. Along the year, she has been able to do so in a large diversity of environment. Sometimes in well-known companies, like the Parisian department store Le Printemps, but sometimes in more entrepreneurial projects, like Etipop, the first Parisian incubator slash pop-up store dedicated to brands with a deep focus on sustainability. And that was at a moment when nobody was talking about it. I want to take this moment to chat with Laura because she is a practitioner. She is constantly working to become the best version of herself, to become the best leader possible, and also to transmit her knowledge to others through her books. In this episode, you will learn about how to develop your leadership style, how to leverage uniqueness in people in order to build high-performance team, the ingredients to advance inside the company without compromising your values, the power of journaling to obtain clarity of thoughts, and how to choose the battle really worth fighting for. I also invite you to connect with Laura on LinkedIn and to go discover her first two books. Number one, Branded, which tell her story in the fashion and luxury industry. And the second one, Un jour j'irai en Afrique, which translates as One day I will go to Africa a more personal book about self-discovery. And with no further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Miss Laura Brown. Psst. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is one of the most efficient ways to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. Don't be shy, hit those five stars and show us your love in the comment section. Hi, Miss Laura Brown. How are Hello. you? Hello. Fine. 
fine. I'm very happy to. I'm very happy to see you here. So I'm fine. Yeah. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you too. It's been a. It's been a long time. We were chatting been... uh, about that uh, just before the the podcast. So it's, it's been really a very long time. You. Very good to have you too. <laughs> Just to, to give a little bit of context for, for our listeners. So we met 11 years ago, something like that, uh, yes. at school, at the IFM. And since then, we have been crossing paths and exchanging and, and uh, about fashion, about what does it mean to work in this industry, uh, how hard sometimes it is to work in this industry. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we have been, let's say, partners in crime in trying to... <laughs> to make us part yes. in, in this industry. So for me, it was, uh, I, I was sure I wanted to have you at any point in this podcast and, uh, and life made it that you contacted me not so long ago. So we catch up again and we say, let's do it. It's, it's time. It is so a I'm time. I'm really happy to have you. Thank <laughs> you for having me on the podcast. Yeah. So Laura, we were talk, chatting a little just before we start about a really interesting topic that uh, I thought it would be uh, nice and original to start with. Um, it's about the, the topic of wigs and yes. uh, women and what it represents for, for at least a black woman and maybe for other type of uh, women as well. What it represents uh, for you and what is the role of the wig maybe in the professional setting? Okay, I will, I will speak for myself because uh, I don't know about other women. Um, but um, when I get into a role in, into work, wigs are definitely a way to um, ease my way into the corporate sector, into the corporate ladder. Um, especially in France. I, I don't know, it's maybe different in the US because it's a bigger country. It's more diverse. It was built uh, out of uh, uh, many uh, communities who went there. So they're more open to that. But uh, in France, it was definitely a way for me to be like in my armor, you know, my hair, my way to I, I dress is an armor, is a way to protect myself. Uh, it's also a way to feel comfortable in my skin. Um, but I'm playing a game. And uh, I'm very aware that the Laura who is wearing her wig, her makeup, her dresses, and and who is getting into her director or sales manager role is not the everyday Laura that uh, you know, Lucas, and that we will have drinks uh. and, and have fun and party uh, on the weekend. Because um, I'm very, yeah, I'm very aware that when you go into an organization, you have uh, rules and, 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 yeah, and you define codes and way that you have to behave yourself. So it helps make it easier. It helps focusing on the work and not having such and such questions about uh, your hair and whatsoever. And I, I'm already ready for the people who's going to say, yes, but we are living in a, way, in a world that is diverse and everything. But I'm working since I'm the age of 14. And I can tell you that uh, at, certain, at a certain level, people are still kind of old-fashioned and old-school. So uh, it depends on if you are going into an organization to, to do a protest or if you are going into an organization to make money and to uh, have experience and learn and grow your career. 
and that you want people to focus on that, have that easily, it's, it's up to you. But I realized uh, throughout the years um, that, yeah, different certain kind of hairstyles really make it easier for me. Second of all, it's so quick and fast in the morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, like every woman, like, uh, yeah, you are in a hustle, especially when you have a family settings, if you have to drop off kids to school or whatsoever. And you just have to flack that wig on your head and just run out to work. Um, it's funny uh, because we were we were chatting before. You were I was telling you that many people when we talk about wig today in the pop culture, they relate wigs with what we know now. So Beyonce, Cardi B, whatsoever. But my first relationship with wigs it was with um, incredible figures figures sorry like uh, cleopatra or um, marie antoinette so i make fun of that at work because when people say oh it's funny because they know it's a wig you know uh, mm. especially on my first day at work often wigs i wear them in, in winter so if you hire me or if i started work in spring or summer my hair are short you know me yeah. it's a seasonal <laughs> so trend for me, yes. For me, yes. So when they see me with my wig, then they are like, okay, we know it's a wig. So, oh, they always go like this. Oh, it's uh, it's surprising, you know, it's amazing. And usually I always, and I often answer, yes, it's, it's as amazing as Cleopatra or Marie Antoinette. And then they smile, I smile, and we go for the next topic. <laughs> I love it. I, I love the... How you compare it to yeah back in the days Marie Antoinette and and uh, all those powerful women. So yes. when I was hearing uh, hearing you talking about it and about especially that relationship to to power, that relationship to kind of uh, an armor uh, role, it made me thought about like um, my thesis I did at the IFM. I don't know if you you remember. It was about high heels. Yes, and I what remember. High heels. Yeah, what high heel represent for. For women, why is it so attractive for women and men? And mm -hmm. uh, and in it, one of the things that uh, that I discovered that I thought was really interesting was the the fact that yeah, high heels uh, give some power to to women just by the position of their body, how they stand. Mm -hmm. It's more mm -hmm. straight. Uh, it's higher. So let's say if we are in front of a man, at least you you able like kind of stand in front of, of him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is that. Uh, the noise that uh, make the the heels when you, when you arrive, uh, and at the same time, it's a a weapon of seduction. And yes. I believe as well the wigs because you're able like to, you know, to yeah, it, you seduce in some way as well with, with it, and it gives you yeah, it's a it's a transformation of who you are, and you enter in that type of character. And so it made me thought, yeah, there is different elements like that that women and power have been using all along the years. To of course. Kind of assert the yeah, their authority and sometimes it's not so easy. Of course. It's so funny that you are bringing the word, the magical word is uh, seduction and sensuality. For years, if you take a little bit of, um, if you take a, a step back, um, people... I don't know who people, but let's say, I don't want to be the feminist here, but the patriarch, the patriarchy kind of 
pointed out sensuality and seduction as something quite negative in the workplace. But throughout the years and, and the centuries, it has been one of the strongest uh, weapon for women to be um, navigating into uh, power places, seduction and sensuality. It doesn't mean that they're going to, I don't know, have sex with no matter who or what, but it means that the aura, the, the, the shine that vibrates around women when they wear heels, when they have their beautiful perfumes, when they yeah. work in incredible dresses, it, it says some things, it means some things. And cherry on the cake, if you work into fashion, you cannot not be into your character of sensuality. It doesn't mean that you are forced to wear heels or wigs, but it means that, of course, you like to charm. That industry is a charming industry. We are in the creative industry. It's culture. It's a love language. You have, you have to like to charm some kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, it's the industry of dreams. So yes. a dream, it's appealing, it's seductive, it's intoxicating sometimes. Yes. So it is a, it is, it is a good, uh, good analogy. When I hear you, and, and especially preparing for this, uh, this conversation, I was thinking about what are the, let's say, the key words when I, I think about you, Laura? And one of them was leadership. I think that's something that it's really unique uh, uh, about you and in, uh, in that you, as you were talking, there is a perfume in you. It's like something that it's, I don't know how to express it, but you feel it, you taste it. Is that really your way, your vision, your ambition and your leadership, it's something really strong in you. And, and I want to, of course, talk about it, how you have maybe developed that in your, in your, in your work and with your teams because you have led teams. Um, yeah. Is that something that you always had in you? Is that something that you uh, developed through time, maybe through uh, some artifice, as the, you were, were talking about the wigs? How, how did yeah, you very, start developing that, uh, that skill? It's, it's, it's a very good question. It's a, it's a very good question. Um, I think, but I'm not sure, uh, that my father uh, passed it on to me because he was, uh, his nickname when he was uh, a soccer player back in the days, uh, he was back, yeah. back in the days, <laughs> was, his nickname was Legend. And he was very soon, I think, in his career, a coach for teams. In, uh, in France, in Morocco, in, in uh, West Africa, and in the U.S. Uh, for soccer teams. And then he did it also uh, later in his career with a non-profit organization. But he always uh, yeah, coached at home and with his team. So maybe that he had that drive and that energy. And I feel that he maybe passing on to me. Um, it's it's funny because when I when I hear you saying that, as far as I can go, um, I always had you know huge group of friends, and it's maybe my energy. But yes, I think he planted this little seed, and of course it grew out um, throughout the years. And uh, this is the more energetic part, but. Uh, I come from a very simple and modest family. So 
uh, money was always important as a discussion to say, okay, you are not going to go study just to uh, like school. You are going to go study to get a job. And yeah. and um, I used to look at, at the market. And when I used to look at jobs, just to, by curiosity, to say, okay, which jobs are interesting in terms of work and money-wise and that I feel I could handle, it was always... Um, managers managers roles you know always roles into management and it's also the jobs that are more paid because you are in charge of people uh it's it's a fact so i water this energy of liking to be uh leading things because it started also with non-profits very soon um was i when i was a student um, I also took part in my father's nonprofit, so I was managing projects and I was managing little groups of people, and then it grew out out of time into uh, work, and I uh, nourish it with my studies. But the funny thing is, uh, I I know you will relate. At school, we have management program, we have management courses, but we do no management. We <laughs> We work as group work. So they say, oh, but it's a little bit of management because you are a group and you're managing a project. Yes. But uh, when I started managing people, it had very little to do, to put it in a positive way, it has very little to do with what you learn at school because the reality of, of um, dealing with human beings on a daily basis has nothing to do with being at school, enjoying learning and, and growing with your, with your, um, with your friends. So yeah, I think, uh, I didn't have it. I think no one has it in them, but it depends on your surroundings, your education, uh, what your parents do also, because I recognize other leaders. And usually when you speak to them, a lot of them have parents who were, uh, kind of leaders or managers as a job. and But what makes it maybe more um, communicative? It's uh, my love of human beings. I think, um, you know, I think we are very lucky, even though we are going through uh, hard times, not to say the yeah. S word. And uh, human is what will make us so much different from AI. So, yeah. You have to like people to like management, I guess. I love what you're saying about that. Uh, it's not something that we especially maybe have in us, but it's something that grow from the environment, maybe from the people that inspire us. Mm -hmm. In your case, your, 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 your father or somebody else in the, in the surrounding. What would you say are the, maybe those key lessons or philosophy that your, your father transmitted you as a, leader or as a coach because I imagine yourself uh, as a leader with with teams there is moment you have to coach people is there any lessons or kind of philosophy that he, he, he gave you yes there is the one he, he didn't give it to me but he showed it to me two ways by who he was <laughs> but also <laughs> by me looking at him coaching his team you cannot change people so many people think that management is uh, taking people, putting them in a template where they will get out of that template 
just as they want them to be for the organization. Wrong. This leads to uh, people being let off or people getting out of the organization. My father taught me that you have to look at the unique selling point or you have to look at the unique personality of the person that you have in front of you and you have to work with that and you have to make that at its best uh, for people to be able to feel confident enough to be perf to perform you know this is how you get high performance actually by uh, uh, accepting how unique people are and um, leveraging that, leveraging their uniqueness. Yes. You can oh, change people. It. Change people. That is the lesson, yeah. the first one. Yeah. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's amazing because you never hear it so clearly in terms of management. You always have that idea that we lead, we maybe change people in some way, we transform them. But it, it's true that if you look at them for who they are and don't try to change them but make like the surrounding the environment the mission align with who they are that's where you get the high performance yes so it is a it is quite a simple but really a powerful uh, tip and advice you can make them you can you can help them change but there is a difference you know growing is changing that was True. my my also my way of seeing things i was like okay growing is changing so if i make them grow but i don't try to change them i just use the potential and make them grow then they will change and i just have to make this growth align with the growth that i want for the organization uh nevertheless you have to remind them that nobody is forced to work anywhere so if they come and apply in the organization we accept a certain minimum of rules and foundation but in that square you can make so many things no it's a it's a good point and um i wanted to kind of go back to your let's say your first encounter with, with fashion because mm -hmm. uh, correct me if i'm wrong you didn't start studying fashion or fashion business so can you maybe give us a, a little bit of the where was the kind of the chapters of your life before you kind of decided to get into fashion and why fashion was appealing to you? Okay. Um, so I started my studies uh, in communication and in business. Um, I did my A-levels. I don't know if we still call it that, but we used to call it that. So I did my A-levels in, um, in uh, social and economic studies. Um, and in France, A-levels are very important. So my question was, I want to understand the work, I want to understand the world, sorry, uh, where we live. And I realized that there is people and organizations and money. And so I want to understand that. What is the name of that? It's social economics. So I'm going to do my A-levels in social economics. <laughs> and then when I did that, it opened the world to me in terms of studies that I could go through. And I very, uh, by a very young age, I knew that I didn't want to go to the university, the, like the pure university, because I needed to somehow, somehow have a little sense of practice. So I went to, um, it's, at, it's a technical school. So it's in between university and professional schools where you have both of it. And it's called, um 
University of uh, Technology, and I specialize in communication. I did two years, and I did, uh, then my bachelor in international communication in Maastricht in the Netherlands. And I chose the Netherlands, always a strategic choice too, because at the time we were going through a lot of uh, rules and regulations in terms of the uh, bachelor-master um, program. In France, it was not applied yet, so we have to find equivalents. And I thought, okay, if I choose a very good school in Europe, it would be easier for me uh, to come back with that and go directly into my, my master program and not come back and do a bachelor year again. So I did that. I loved it. Uh, studying in the, in the Netherlands was an enlightenment for me in terms of education, because first I wanted to stop after my bachelor. And they really opened my eye. It was really eye-opening. And I came back and I did a master also in a technical university. Uh, it was in, um, well, it used to be called differently, but it was in international business and uh, management. Two years. So it was six months in, in a, a school, six months uh, in a company, six months in school, six months in a company. So the thing is, at the time, uh, the Republic told us, well, you do a master, you will have five years and you have a wonderful job in a great company making four to five thousand per month and the life will be fun wonderful. And it wasn't that. So when I came out, <laughs> so welcome was, to reality. Welcome to reality. So when I got out of uh, my master, uh, the last six months was an internship that I did in real estate in Paris. Uh, I chose it because uh, I always knew that real estate was something important or interesting, at least for me. And uh, at some point, I would use what I learned in that company. Uh, long story short, for me, companies are just schooled um, on field. So I always saw that like that. And uh, if I get fulfilled, it was cool. If I did it, I would change. So I did my internship at that company. It was a startup. They were the ancestors of Airbnb. Their, uh, and this is a very interesting way of how I got into fashion. Their um, headquarters were in Paris, Rue du Sentier, in the second uh, quarter. For those who know, today, 2023, Rue du Sentier is Silicon Sentier. So it's like the Silicon Valley in Paris. But for the real people who know, know, Rue du Sentier was in the middle of the neighborhood of fabrics. It's where most of the companies uh, doing fabrics were implanted. That's how uh, Sandro Mach, Claudie Pirlo, Pirlo were, were born. That's how many brands were born and where they were based. In, even one of my old clients, it was uh, Claude Derry. They are more or less around that area. Uh, that's the roots of fabric. Uh, so I did two to three years in that company. And I was like, damn, I know that with this, my brain and my studies, I will never become for my whole life a real estate agent. So what am I going to do? So because at lunch, when I was going to get my food, I was walking around and I could always see nice girls wearing cool dresses, getting in, getting out buildings, but I didn't know where they were going. So I started looking at the, the signs, you know, those beautiful Osmanian buildings in front, outside the main door, you always have all the signs of the companies. 
And then I started seeing all kinds of brands that I know. And I was like, damn, <laughs> I'm just next door. Just I, I, I maybe should just apply, you know? So I started applying. And the response were always the same. Sorry, uh, you don't have a fashion diploma. Sorry, you don't have a fashion diploma. Sorry, you don't have a fashion diploma. So I went to see my boss and I told him that I, was, I wanted to quit. Um, he really had a great relationship. So he said, okay, you know what? Um, do you have a project? I said, yes, I think I want to go into fashion. He said, oh, really? I said, yeah, um, but I don't think I want to be the fashion designer because I was never interested about, about the design part. I like it, but it was not where I knew my value would be. But I told him, you know, I think I can help designers. I can help uh, businesses as a manager, you know, that I can do. And what was also the trigger is that uh, in that company, one of my colleagues, a very good friend, Fanny Perry, she became very quickly my manager. And we were two to three years in between. So I knew that the time that I had a manager role, it was going to take five to 10 years. And I was like, mm, nah, mm. I want something faster. And I was like, it was a time where MBAs, postgraduate were very sexy and that they would get you faster into roles that you wanted. So I started, I was my office right in front of my office. It was, uh, US mod. So first I went there. But the school were looking like a craftsmanship uh, designer atelier. So I was like, I know this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I started looking, searching, searching. And then I found out about IFM. Institut Français de la Mode. And I was like, damn, just already, already the name. Tell me something big about it, you know? Yeah. And I was like, okay. And I started looking at the program. I was like, okay, this is it. They started with a management program. So they understood the fact that um, designers and creative needed managers to make them grow or to work with them to make their business grow. And when you go to the roots of IFM, you see the story about Pierre Berger, huge inspiration for me. Uh, incredible businessman, incredible uh, cre creator too, you know, on his own terms. I was like, I want to go there. This is the school for me. So I, um, I, I negotiated with my company. They let me off, which allows me to, um, because I had worked my quasi all my youth years because I started working very soon. So I accumulated a certain amount of money that I could invest in my uh, studies. And I did that. Uh, and I started EFM. That's how I wanted to have that fashion diploma that all the brands were saying, you need a fashion diploma. So that, that's how <laughs> I, I, I got... <laughs> it's it, it's it's so good yeah i i, I think yeah, we, we never talk about uh, about it about how fashion enter in your life and i love <laughs> that it was just like you were looking at people near to your job and say hey the office is just here <laughs> i don't that know was crazy. I, I, it's it, it's crazy that's why I, I always like to ask that question about how fashion enter in the life of uh, of people because we have so many different uh, type of uh, stories sometimes you know it's the grandma sometimes it's uh, somebody who worked there sometimes mm -hmm. uh, like on, on my case it was like in high school but seeing people's style like you know the cool kids and wondering mm -hmm. like why is it like a 
fashion so important? Why the cool kids mm-hmm. always have like the cool brands? What does it say in terms of tribes and things like that? It was one of the interrogation I, I, I had about, about it. So it, it is, uh, everybody has a different uh, origin story with, uh, with fashion. And to go back um, to what you were saying at the beginning, to go back to it, when you asked me about, when we're talking about sensuality, seduction, those people, men or women, but it was mostly women in the Sentier, they had that energy glowing. They were glowing, you know, the way they were dressed. Mm-hmm. And it was not about the brands. It was about the style. So yeah. I was like, there is something about a secret world that I don't know, but that surrounds me every day. And it has to be a business and an industry behind it. That's how I found out about fashion. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool one. Before we continue on your your journey and especially your your, your first uh, jobs in in fashion, I wanted to kind of double click on the way you think because you it feels that you have a really strategic mindset. You said like, yeah, I wanted to go a little bit faster than you know the the norm. Uh, how did you start developing that let's say strategic uh, mind and uh, and what would be kind of the the advice you would give somebody kind of studying, trying to figure out where they want to go. Was it so funny? Because this is the so this is the heartbeat topic of my book, you know? Um, ah, perfect. It's, yes. I, it's about making a plan, having a strategy. You don't go out. I don't believe that you go into the workforce not knowing what, you go, what you're going to do. Maybe it's because of the people that I admire. Uh People that you that inspires you, people that inspires me, from Pierre Berger to uh, uh, Bernard Arnault to uh, even Beyonce, or there is the talent, there is what what you like, what you are good at, what your parents gives you, because often it comes to those two three things. Mm-hmm. But then it also goes to the plan. Okay, I see all of this. What kind of life do I want? You know, that was my thing. What kind of life do I want? What kind of lifestyle do you want? And I figure it out very fast that we were living in a a social economical world with different impact but based on capitalists capitalism sorry and therefore to get something you have to pay for it since money was invented before people were trading but since money was invented that's what exists for ages that's the that's the that's the global the macro side the micro side of it is that i was I grew up, as I said, in a modest family. I grew up uh, in the banlieue, but not in Paris, in uh, the regions, uh, in the suburbs. So in the lifestyle, it was quite cool, actually. It was not as rough as what you can see on TV, not at all. Uh, The diversity and the mix in terms of social classes was was quite uh, big, actually. And therefore, I was very quickly surrounded by, uh, I was actually with the cool kids because when you're young, uh, the money that you make has less matter if you have your personality and you are outgoing and you are confident. It doesn't matter until a certain age. But I could study and see how those people live. And I was like, damn, I want that, you know. Um, how am I going to get that? So when I was at the, when we used to come back out of parties and I used to eat on the Sunday with some of my parents' friends, I used to say, well, but what do you do for a living? Like, what life do you have? They have all sort of life. They have doctors, teachers. 
So I say, okay, if you work, no matter what you choose, you get money. Basic. So I can buy some stuff in my lifestyle. But then there is another level of freedom, of uh, freedom of style, freedom of time, style, time, and, 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 and lifestyle. That's freedom. And I was like, damn, this is another level that money can buy. But if I get money, I can get closer to that. So that's how it started. Uh, it was not jealousy. It was maybe grit. It's something that people don't talk about enough. We think people, when they want something, when I see something that I want or I admire in someone and I say, hmm, I want the same thing, it stimulates my appetite to create a plan to get it. So I'm very pragmatic, even though I'm a big dreamer, but the dream has to become a goal and, and a plan and reality. So I get quickly into how can I get it? You know, I see the girl in her lifestyle. I see the streets. I see the, okay, how can I get it? Uh, you don't have a fashion diploma? Okay, I'm going to get a fashion diploma if it, that's what it costs. Until you realize that it's not always enough. Hmm. So that's going to be in the book. That's going to be the... That's going to be the book. It's called, in French, Tempo pour le taf. It's like, I don't, I don't give a, a shit about work or how you can get closer to your freedom. And it's, it's an odd to the youth. Uh, it's my little brick for the next generations to embrace the changes and the mutations that we are seeing in the, in the workplace. You know, we can see all around the world. They are talking about it in Silicon Valley. They are talking about it in Europe. Uh, young people are deserting. They are flying away from organizations to build their own path. And they are more and more conscious about the lifestyle they want. We are too, actually, because we were the generation always in between everything, you know, the 90s. Mm. We are always in between everything. Oh, yeah. uh, and we are realizing that. Therefore, uh, when I was making my studies, I realized, okay, if, I, if, if you look at the 100 fortunes, the first 100 people, the most um, uh, money people, money-wise, the most, uh, how do you say that? Uh, the wealthiest? Like the wealthiest, thank you. If you look at the 100 most wealthiest people in the world, 53 out of those 100 started working at a job. That's what more people don't talk about because on the Instagram mm. planet, we think that everyone makes money out of one, two, three, four TikTok videos. No. People learn working in a place that are always making, already making money and then they grow out of that. Um, so, and no one, it started with a dream, but, but no one just, I think so, maybe I'm wrong, but just uh, slide into a job and wait for something to happen. You need to have a plan. So that's something that my parents taught me, I guess. Uh, my father, especially, you know, uh, you have to have a vision and then you set up goals and then it can be for your creative projects. It can be for your couple. You also have to make a plan. You always have a, also have a vision. It, it, it's nourished by values that you have. It's nourished by the lifestyle that you want with your couple. That's something that you want to build as a family. And then uh, you encounter, you see how it works, and you make it grow. Nothing just drop off like this and just slide into life. I don't believe that. If not, if you think that, or if you're not aware of that, life and other actors who are aware will use you to slide. 
it's true. I love I, I love it. Uh, but the the planification and the especially the to build the vision you want uh, for your life and where you want to go and create those uh, those objective and small steps and and actions that gonna lead you to there. Uh, mm-hmm. I totally re- relate on, on on that. I don't know, yeah, if it's the the, the family or or the surrounding. I, I guess so, but uh, I know that I build at least uh, for the studies, for the internships, for yes. where do I want to go. Every time I had something in mind, it's like, okay, that's the the first step. That's the second step. Who do I need to contact? Mm-hmm. How can I have this information? And always kind of anticipating the different steps to to arrive more or less where where I want to go, and uh, and it's true. It's one of the advice I always give to people. It's like uh, yeah, be lead your life, lead your your career, and design it according where you want to go. Because if you don't, as you were saying, life gonna take over, uh, people, companies gonna take advantage mm-hmm. of, of you. Mm-hmm. And the years pass, and then you want one day you wake up and you say, "What the hell am I doing here? Yes. Did I end up here?" And yes. you look at it and you say, "That's not the life I wanted." But it's because you never really decided that what is the life you wanted in the first place. Exactly, exactly. Oh. In the first place, like what life do you want in the first place? I really like the in the first place part. <laughs> That's a good um, one. Quick announcement before we jump back into our conversation. Working in our industry, it's such a thrilling experience. We have a worldwide cultural impact. We help bring to life amazing products and customer experiences. And there is always something new to discover and no time to get bored. However, sometimes such intensity does not make easy to take a step back and we lose sight of what really matters to us. Sometimes in the heat of action, we forget to reflect on our journey so far and to think about where we are heading to with our life and career. That's what coaching is for. It offers you a dedicated moment to think and strategize about the type of career you want to build, the kind of leader you want to be, and the type of changes you want to implement. To work in our industry is to thrive for excellence. And that starts by you being able to perform at your best. So if lately you have been feeling overwhelmed and unable to think clearly, lacking motivation and seeing your performance decrease, or simply that you are a crossroad in your career and wants to get to the next level in terms of management and responsibilities, please reach out and let's talk about how we can work together. As a certified coach, I will help you ask yourself the right questions, design powerful strategies to reach your goals, and get clarity on your priorities. So contact me on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards and let's talk during a 30-minute complimentary meeting and see how we can work together. And now, let's dive back into our conversation. Now I can't wait to, to, to see the, the, the book, more, more or less, when is it coming like that people can keep an eye on them, uh, on it and, and order it. When do you have already a, a deadline? No, to be transparent, I uh, so it's my third book. I've, uh, I wrote two first books, but I was uh, I published them my, on my own. Um, we'll get into that, but I discovered my uh, thirst for words uh, during COVID. Like a lot of people discovered their creative side during mm-hmm. the pandemic. 
because we had time to reflect and therefore you realize that life passes and goes by and that there are other things that are important for you or that you like or that you want to explore. So that's how I encounter my writing and my creative side. But I'm a very, as I said, pragmatic person. So first I was like, okay, but am I able to write anyway? Am I able to write? <laughs> is it, is yeah. that possible? So yeah, I, I, I first wanted to try out and I didn't want to put any pressure on myself except my own pressure. Therefore, I said, okay, I'm going to publish myself with Amazon independently. I'm going to also extract out of my heart those really deep stories that you need to tell to be free. And it's all artists, you know, when you listen to rap music, uh, I listen to a lot of rap songs or even hip hop and stuff and, 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 and R&B and a lot of stories come from who we are. And there are some first stories. I don't know if you remember the first album of artists that we like. Their stories are very rough. It's very close to who they are because we need to extract that. So I needed to do that. And this time for the third book, I want to do it with, um, with a publishing company. Uh, it's a different level. It's also more vocal and they also help you to have more uh, distribution, like retail places, okay. because it's not my field. I want to focus on the writing. So I don't want to give a date. I'm still finishing it uh, and I will couple it. But that I, that I can say because it's going to be done next month. Um, it will be done also with a documentary. So, okay. yes. But the heartbeat is that it's a non-creative, um, it's non-creative uh, non-fiction. Sorry, story. So it's at the the intersection of uh, a documentary and a personal story because it's based on what I am I experience. But I nourish it with facts, things like uh, uh, the billionaire story because I think we went so far into the internet and social networks that sometimes people have a misconception of where how people got where they are so they see people all around the news all around the social networks but most a lot of them a little bit more than half of the wealthiest started working for someone else <laughs> as basic as that no it's so it's so cool that you you give yourself the time to to create because you were mentioning before that you didn't want it to become a fashion designer and you say i'm not interesting by that uh, and uh, i totally relate with that but at the same time it, it feels that during covid you you let yourself uh, discover more your creative side and it, the medium of expression became uh, writing what what kind of the the origin of that uh, urge to 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 write? Well, how did you start it? Like, was it one day you wake up and say, "I need to to express myself"? Or how did you arrive to that? I I've been journaling since the very young age. I'm also scared because I don't know where all those journals are. So I was like, the other day I was like, I have to find them. <laughs> but uh, I I started journaling at a very young age. So I always used to write my life like what is going on during the day and why and so when you're young it's always about breakups and friends and then you grow up and it's more about your your you navigating and what and your learnings each day and then you know people tend to forget but when you go to school if you decide to go to to do higher education you decide to go work in the corporate world more or less if you go until, until the end and then you start your first job because 
school, university, no one, not everybody will be okay with me on that, but higher education mostly prepares people to go to get into the workforce. That's how yeah. uh, um, contemporary societies were built. Like most of people live out of most of those countries, France, the US, they live out of people taxes. So for that, that people need to work. <laughs> yeah. um, so when I started studying more and then working, you just tend to forget your artistic and your uh, sports or your passions because True. it's like your life gets taken over through work. It's like it's becoming your new passion, but it's a lie. Huh? You should keep on your passion. So it, it, it gets just taken over because the time, you know, we forget but uh, we have a very limited time on this planet and each day we only have 24 hours. Uh, part of it is life, work, family, friends, and then also your energy. So sleeping, resting, uh, eating, uh, and all those things takes time. Writing takes time. So you have to incorporate that into your, your framework. And um, so my first book came out of uh, I had the time because it was during COVID, but the second book I wrote it, I was working um, when I came back to Besançon, and it was totally different. It 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 didn't have the same impact that my first book because I had less time to dedicate to it, so less mm. time to work on it uh, with your community is different. So it started very young. It grew up. I let it a bit aside. But as everything that you leave aside and that you keep somewhere, it comes out at some point. Amazing. I love it that it's always been been there uh, on you and you kind of it wake up one day, woke up one mm -hmm. day and it was there again and say, hi, Laura, we need to yes. talk. It's time for <laughs> to, to let me out. <laughs> oh, it, came, it came like a, it was not that gentle. It kicked me in the ass. <laughs> It kicked me in the ass, and it was uh, a book. It was half of a, scenario, um, a film uh, scenario, and it was uh, a documentary. And I and I used those texts uh, to apply to to contests, and I was a finalist in one, and I was uh, selected in the second one. And it all awesome. happened in a year. So I was like, hey. People are—it resonates into people. What you are saying, people get uh, acquainted with. They like it. So maybe yeah. you have to grow that and, and put water on it. Yeah, I love it. And uh, it go back to again to the fact that you go fast and uh, and you don't hesitate. That's something. Remember, uh, I was telling you about the keywords. Uh, I say leadership. The other one that I had in mind was uh, daring. You're always there to to be yourself first. At least that's the way I, I see it from outside, and but also to dare project, and uh, and this one about the book, the documentary. Let's say is the the latest. But if we go back a little bit at the at the IFM and the how you enter in fashion, what was kind of your vision at that time? What did you wanted to do? What was kind of the the strategy you? you had in place to, to enter the, the fashion industry? I, I wanted to, okay. When I was very little, 
next to where I grew up, it was a department store. Uh, it was the Galerie Lafayette. So for people who know, we all know the Galerie Lafayette if you work into fashion. If you don't, sorry, yeah. it's, it's not good. You need to know. Um, yeah. We all know the Galerie Lafayette of Paris because they are very strong in terms of communication, especially that they have this incredible building. But yeah. the power of the Galerie Lafayette at the time is that they have in several regions, uh, smaller cities, uh, also department stores. And we had that in Besançon. And it was a place when I was going when I was little. And I was... Actually, this was maybe my first encounter to fashion. Not ah. the work side. Not the work side. <laughs> not the work side, though. But the, the paradise kind of side. And it was that place where that had they had everything. And everything seemed magical. To be honest, I don't have strong memories of what I saw. But I remember how it made me feel when with my mother, we used to go in town. And then say, okay, let's go to the Galerie Lafayette. It had something... Yeah. Like you're going to the chocolate factory, you know? Yeah. For me, it was the windows at Galerie Lafayette during the, uh-huh. window, the Christmas. The Christmas I windows. Remember, yeah, I remember that. That was kind of uh, something we, u- we used to do every year. And yeah. that's the way I encountered the Galerie Lafayette. See how fashion can enter your life very soon, huh? <laughs> I know. They get you with the toys catalog. They get you with the toys. <laughs> Mommy, let's go inside. Um, so I, I it, it was something that clicked in my brain. Long story short, when I uh, studied at IFM, you have the first part of IFM where you study everything. So it's the discovery, I like to call it. Yeah. So you meet all the crazy and incredible people of the industry. You get pumped. The six first yeah. months, you get pumped. We all six remember first. that. It worked. The way they built the program is very good. And then you have the six other months where you have to choose a specialization. And it's also, you are also hesitating, but on the other hand, it also is very liberating because you can get out of the way things that you know you are not going to. So we had three or four. We had perfume, we had retail, we had communication, and we had a product. I knew I didn't want to go into product from day one. I didn't want to go into communication because I came from communication. I had a bachelor in communication, so I was like, no need to go, that, to go to that unless I wanted to be a journalist. Nope. And uh, I hesitated with the retail specialization and the perfume specialization because I think that both were very interesting. Uh, but uh, perfume reminded me a lot of what I studied in uh, communication, communication advertising, because it's a lot of marketing, basic strategy, strong strategy, especially the years that we did our diploma. It was the mm. peaks of marketing for perfumes and this huge uh, uh, cash cow strategy. And uh, I was like, okay, me, my grandmother was a retailer. So mm. I think I want to go more into retail. That was the first thing I was like, I I have I feel I have something around retail. The second thing was that uh, so I did the retail path, uh, the retail specialization at IFM, and then I realized I loved it. I love the merchandising part. We used to because we did that together. I think you remember. Yeah. Yes, we yeah. loved. I loved the design courses. They were yeah. incredible, um, and it's all 
So all that you can find when you talk about retail, because retail are experienced places, experience, like experienced places. They experience, it's like houses, it's like homes where uh, everything, it's magical, like architecture, design, uh, clothing, like it's all built to put the clothes on a pedestal. And I was like, okay, I want to get into that. Um, but when I started, um, when I started to look for opportunities and before looking for opportunities, I started to look for, I started to look for, um, experiences and people in the, in the network of the school that worked into retail and it started by the library and I found no, uh, reports, you know, usually all the other people, they had um, the, the possibility to go into the library and read people who had worked into the industry at their job. Because IFM at the time was uh, training a lot of people to be product managers. Uh, retail is famous now that we know that retail is the secret behind most of the brand. But at the time, retail was... And it was 2012, huh? at the time, 20, 2011, 2012, retail was looked at like the, um, I don't know, the, 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 some place that is not interesting and is too much work and is not sexy enough. Hmm. But let's go back to my pragmatic money mindset. I was like, but I have the feeling when I look at the people that I admire, the Bernard Arnauds, the Sidney Toledano, the Pierre Berger and all those guys. What they do as a job is what I would like to do. And I think they work into retail. Then we meet up with, uh, I don't know her name again. It will come back to me later. But it was, yeah, it was Tanker de Lalin. That was, I don't know where he is now. I don't have that in mind. But at the time he was working at Printemps. So the, the, the challenger of... Uh, Lafayette, and uh, he came to do a course and I was like, damn, this I like. I like the, his story. I like what he did and he has the lifestyle that I want to have. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe it's more where I would like to, to direct myself. And the cool part is that in retail, as a sales manager roles or a director roles, there were there were jobs because there's a, there's a lot of stores. So I said, okay, I always like to have a little test. So my little test was the LVMH retail days. I was like, let's see okay. if I can do it. So LVMH, you know, IFM, we were a very happy, joyful group, but there was a lot of competition too. <laughs> so, was always about who's going to work on the cool groups and the cool brands with the cool projects. So I didn't have all of that, but I had the LVMH days. We were many to apply and see who will be selected to go. And they were only taking a few people, I think, from our school, like three to five people. So it was three of us. Uh, there was Sabrina, me, and I don't remember about the third person. People were very shocked. And I was like, okay, maybe... Uh, it's because I worked in retail when I was younger, because it was one of my jobs at H&M when I was a student. Also another encounter with fashion, but my story is... It's too true. Too 
it's too deep, so I can't, I cannot go everywhere. But I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm selected to those days. It means that I have something that they like. I said something that they like. Uh, and it was incredible. It was at uh, LVMH headquarters, uh, Avenue Montaigne, near, near Avenue Montaigne. And uh, in, their, in their building, it's so crazy because I, you were waiting to go into that. You, I crossed by some of the sons um, of Bernard Arnault. So I was like, damn, it's getting closer. I'm getting closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there, I loved it because it were a few tables. They gave workshops. We share like a little, um, you say cocktail uh, during like like a like a yeah brunch cocktail uh, for lunch. So you meet people from other schools, and I was like, yeah, there is something into the LVMH group that I like. I didn't work at all for them, but there is something that I liked into the way they portrayed retail because they make it show. They show it was uh, the crown jewels. They show it as something very uh, important for the fashion industry. And per, per se, it's where the money comes from. So um, did I answer your question? Yeah, my story, my, how, my story to get back to my story to how I get into Yeah, fashion. what was kind of the vision? So you were explaining, yeah, how did you choose retail and yes. what inspired that? That's how. And, uh, and the idea was like, okay, so what do you want to do now that you have that little test at the LVMH day and the... I said, okay, they, they see in me that I'm capable of managing a store because basically retail is managing a store. When you have a back, uh, let's say back, when you have uh, three, four, five years after your A-levels, it means that you are ready to uh, manage. They allow that. So I said, okay, I want to do that. And I want to do now, let me, let me try the ultimate goal to see if I can hit that is to work in the department store because it was a little girl dream. So let's see, I can do that. And uh, so we had those, um, how do you say that? It was uh, dating uh, jobs uh, sessions at the Yeah, IFM. the career fair, yeah, when the companies yes, come. Which was very qualitative. We are very, this is also something that was great. And there, I don't even go to see LVMH because at that time, I, was, I didn't want it to work for one brand. They, it was something mm. that I thought I would be uh, maybe close. Mm -hmm. I thought I say I thought to myself, okay, I want to work some some place where I can learn on a larger scale, but it's still luxury. And uh, I'm a very yeah, I'm very professional. I hate being late. I'm, I'm, there is some values that I have, and I apply to Galerie Lafayette first. The person was supposed to, they have a, they had a very decentralized way of working. So the, the sales director was supposed to contact me, but you know, now that I came into retail, it's, it goes fast. And what comes first is the client. So they didn't come back to me very quickly. But when I apply to Printemps, at Printemps Haussmann, because they had a very structured way of working, the HR came back to me very fast. She said, mm. okay. And I love the the job offer and the the um, the profile description. Like what was I going to do? It was very clear. It was being a sales manager, meaning managing sales. Sales is suiting your business, so your floor and the people. And you have 
55 million to run, 175 people to run, 50 brands. Are you up for it? It was very clear. And I was okay. This part is clear. So but now can what you, I can you go before you continue? Can you say it again? The offer was 55 million to business to run, yes. 175 people, yes, and 50, 50 brands, 50 brands, yes. And so that was just, yeah, just getting out of school. First job, yes, yes. You were, uh, it was the in, you know, IFM, it's the six month internship, and then. Yeah. If you if you succeed, they take you or not. And uh, I did six months on that floor. It was the second. Uh, so um, retail uh, department store they are uh, divided in divisions. Uh, and my I was at the fashion uh, division with um, several floors. And on each floor, you have a type of fashion, so contemporary, luxury, and different type. So I chose, uh, I didn't chose the store, the floor, because it's the director of the building that chose it. But they put me on a contemporary fashion. So at the time was Burberry, Gérard Darel, Sandro Mage, Claudie Pierlo. Uh, mm -hmm. It was Tara Jarmont. It was uh, Ralph Lauren. Um, so it's a floor that uh, is among the cash cow. The first floor yeah, is... Makes money. Floor. It makes money. It makes money. And I was like, yeah, damn, this is where I want to be. This is where things are happening. And this is where I'm going to learn so much how to manage a business unit. Because when you say you're going to be a manager and you study in fashion, it means that you're going to grow a business unit. Your business unit can be a store. It can be a sector with several stores on a geographical um, scene or in the same building. If it's in the same building, it's a mall or a department store. And if it's a geographical sector, then it means that you are for usually working for one brand, but has several stores. So um, I like the fact that I could learn in one building because yeah. it means not being traveling all the time. I didn't want that at the time. I loved my life in Paris. And it means also the beauty of department store that you could do cross-selling. So you could make a lot of events you could bring uh, you could bring uh, cosmetics into the fashion floor you could bring chocolate into the fashion floor um, you could do a lot of things in the department so for me was the synonym of fun at work <laughs> that's amazing that's a, that's not something we hear so often having fun at, at work what was what was the fun part for you in it it started with the mindset of my managers they were the sales director at the time, Felipe Concalves. He he was um, uh, directing the whole France, like all the printemps in France. He told me, you know, Laura. He he started like me. He started at the same um, post, and he said, "You want this job to be fun? Make it what you want. You have the sales manager that will just be here from eight to five, and who will." Give the the stores what they want. Like they will ask for things, you know, like. Uh, uh, very practical things to be able to function on day-to-day -day basis operations and there is those who will see their business unit and say how can I make more money and uh, how can I make more money using the fashion world you know so bringing DJs creating experiences we did a fashion and shoes party 
and the whole building was on party. Each store, each stores were making things. Uh, you would do uh, sometimes some would do uh, tastings on their on their stands, and things that makes the client dream all the time and and having a good time. This is fun. It's not only being in your store or on your floor and waiting for the people to get through the door. You also have to make them come into the store. And uh, it, it goes all the way. I told you about time earlier. It's all about time. They take the time to come and see you. They want to have a good time. How do you make them have a good time? You have the core. So the sales team, the store has to be clean. The clothes has to be cool. But in this world where there is so many brands, you have to bring something else at the table. And the fun part is what I wanted to bring at the table. So he said, do whatever you want. Sales manager, there is a post, there is a job, there is a goal, but there is different routes. You choose which one. I love it. It's, it reminds me something uh, when at my time at the Bon Marché that they were saying that uh, we have a, a debt uh, towards the customer because they give us their time so we yes. have to kind of repay that debt yes. by making the time worth you know yes coming to the to the to the shop so it's really like the same way of uh, of thinking uh, entirely aligned with what you are saying so something i just wanted to go to go back a little bit on what you said when you are a sales uh, manager or floor manager so you you run a business unit and you manage people so what would you say are the the main skills that somebody that maybe going to enter the workforce and say, okay, I want that route. Uh, I want retail. I think I'm, I'm cut up for that. What are the skills that you advise them to kind of develop or the mindset? So in terms of maybe in business and in terms of managing people. Um, for me, but I, I always say for me, because I think that you make a, a job what you make it with your personality, but it's empathy. I'm a very empathetic person, so I have this ability to put myself into the shoes of the other person in front of me. The first thing is that. The second thing is you have to be able to um, to set up game rules. Is what what you accept, what you refuse, what you tolerate, and the little sphere of creativity that you allow. That's the second thing. The third thing is exemplary. Um, you have to be an example for your team. So you cannot ask them things that you cannot do, and you cannot uh, have a behavior that you're asking them not to have. Basics. Uh, because they are looking at you every day. You know, salesperson, their job, you are here to serve your team to make their job easier because they are, they are flushing out the money. Like, sometimes I will make sales. But on the floor, it was very rare. It would happen, or we would be. It was. It, it was my fun part. Sometimes it, there's less traffic. Uh, you are here. You are discussing with a client. In the end, you are you are counseling her. It's fine. You are having a great time with her. She, you stay with her. You showed her things because sometimes also you have to show to your team. You are able to sell. But um, the key word is empathy, because that's how you connect to people. It's a it's a people job. You cannot go into retail if you don't like people, if you don't like to talk, if you don't like to, if you are not connected to what is happening, because they know. Like people watch TV, they read books. So especially in a department store who is such high end like the Canton, 
So they will be talking about you, about what they heard on the radio. If you don't know what's happening, you're 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 flushed. You're done. If you don't know, then you don't know, and then you have a good time listening to your client teaching you something. But yeah, it's a it's a people business, after all, because don't they don't need shit about what is in the store actually. It's not a necessity. They come out of pleasure. Because if they just need clothes, basic ones, they don't they can go anywhere. So if they keep coming back somewhere, it's because they're feeling great with the people that they are interacting with. So it's 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 empathy. The team and the client. The team and the client. So then no one is everyone can go anywhere to work. Especially nowadays. So what makes people from my experiences, huh? For what makes it uh, cool and enjoyable was always uh, the great connection that I had with my team and, and, and with my client. It's always, I was always focused on how can I make them grow? What do they want? What are their goals? It's a business. They know they are coming, they are coming to work into a business unit. They know that. It's a store. Our goal is to make money each day. That's what you tell them into the briefing. You tell them about the cool things. You give them insight. But at the end of the day, they have also goals. So it's a very conscious business. They know. Therefore, if they are not there only for the money, because the job is not that easy, what can you bring on the table? And one other one, so I said what? To be an example, empathy, uh, to have your game rules, and also... Um, but it goes with the game rules. It's, it's, I call that it's respect. Respect for the culture of your store, of your company, because you have to uh, sweat up, sweat out uh, what your store, what your brand represents. When you go to Dior, you see the people they work at Dior. You know, when you go, I guess, in Jack Mus headquarters, you will feel the vibe. You will see the people. When we, I want to go to the Tiffany Co store, I don't know when I'm going to go, but I want to go. I guess that when you are hard, when you are in the heart of the store, you feel that you are at the Tiffany and Co store, by, held by LVMH, and this flows out through you as a manager directly towards your team because they are in contact with the client. I love it. Um, what I love about it is because you 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 put back human and emotion at the center of your your management and your let's say your 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 philosophy so i i totally understand like the the empathy part it's like we were we go back to what you were talking about the, the leadership and what your your father uh, told you it's like yeah you don't change people so you have to connect with them and understand them and you have to con you're not going to convince a client no. to buy something it's like they want to buy it or not, but you know, you you give them like the like the you in charge of the experience and the framework where they they might yes. or might not uh, uh, buy the, the 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 product, and that's what you are in charge of of the relationship. Yes, uh, inside the store and uh, and that you know brand experience that you want to provide. So uh, I I love it, and I think it, those are, are great uh, advices. Um. What would be like? What well, no? What were kind of the the challenges that you, you you had when you enter at maybe at printemps or even others uh, experience in, in retail? Because I imagine you didn't ha 
have ex managing experience at that time. What was kind of the, the, the challenges that you encounter and how did you overcome them? I often I often tell this story because uh, it, it was really a, an eye opener and changed my perspective. When I arrived at Printemps, and I was very young, I was older than the other students in, at IFM because I already had a work experience, but I was quite young as a manager. Yeah. And uh, I think I was 26, 27, something like that. And uh, my first, so during my internship, to mold me as a manager, they tested me with a very small perimeter. It was on the fourth floor of Clinton Osman, and my team were the old schools. So my first team that I had to manage were five women of 50 plus. <laughs> and I was me, young, fresh. And my, I remember at the time, Sébastien Saint-Paul, great inspiration uh, too, was the, he was the number two of the fashion division. And he said, okay, this is your little perimeter. You are still an intern. Do whatever you want. We have difficulties to make it do money. So go and have fun with it. So I remember it was my, it was like, okay, I'm going to show that I'm starting and that I want to create something. So I, I went there and I was surrounded by all those women, ladies that I know, uh, but I never managed them uh, because I was just, I was changing floor from, you know, I did six months or so three months at the third floor and then three months at that floor. But that floor had many difficulties. It was brand new. But they had difficulties making money and they had that, had that little surface. So I went to that little surface. I met with the girls. I said, okay, I'm going to do a briefing. And I was in the middle and uh, like a little chef, you know, uh, pumped up uh, on my heels, uh, starting to talk to them. And then, uh, so I said, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. I, I very quickly say hello. I thought they knew me, but I didn't introduce myself that much. And I remember she was called Marie-Jo, incredible woman. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, 40, 50, 40 years, 30, 40 years of experience in sales. She came to me. She was smaller than me. She took, she, I finished speaking and she said, okay. She just did her, she nodded her head. She came next to me. She took my hand and she said, you know, Laura, we are here to work with you. Huh? We want to support you. Lucas, I cried. The tears came out of my face because I know what she meant. Because you are young, so you want to do petit chef and give orders and directions. But actually, it's more about synergy with your team. So I was, I got emotional because I was like, she, she read through me, you know? And yeah. she, when I, she saw the tears, she, I wept it very fast. And then she smiled and she said, you know, we know how hard it is for you guys. We know. So just trust us. We know our job. Just let us know how, what is your vision? And let's see how we can make it work together. And it was my first huge lesson in management. You do everything with your team. It's no top down. We are in 2023. It's a synergy. It's elliptic. It's not a pyramid. You know, it's not top down. If you top down, it doesn't work. To give you another example, closer to where I am now, 
my last experience a few uh, months ago was as a fashion director in uh, Jewelry. And my, my uh, regional director was very top-down. When I stopped in March, after that, my whole team, they left. One month, five people leaving, because in 2023, top-down doesn't work. You have to have this um, elliptic synergy when you work, where you work hand-in-hand hand with your team, because it's a common project. Love it. Thank you so much for the vulnerability of that story. And, uh, and, and really, I think it encapsulates everything you were talking about, about the empathy. It's about mm. being connected to your team and, uh, and, and trust, you know, uh, what the trust. world that came into my mind. Yeah, it's that, it's that world. Like, trust because the team, trust the experience. Trust the experience, trust the team, because, you know, each time, each time I started an experience, I realized that the, the salespeople, they know more than me because I was a, I'm a killer in management, a killer. But when I started into an organization, I did different products, men's wear, women's wear, jewelry, uh, websites. In sales, I did a lot. And each time you arrive somewhere where people are there before you, They've been there longer than you. They know the product better than you. They are sometimes better than you. But the, the strength of a manager is knowing his place as a manager while he's growing and um, making sure that he can push and create an environment for the team to um, succeed into making their goals or the, hitting the goals of the organization but you need to have this uh, clarity about where you are who you are and you don't always have it when you start as a young manager you think that management is uh, uh, directing no management is not to direct it is really to manage take it as a simple word manage how are you making things happen is to manage management is to make things happen so how are you going to make it happen? With who? How much do you need to get to make it happen? And that's it. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's so true that, uh, especially at the beginning, we uh, feel that we need to give direction. And in fact, we need to give a vision and then come up with the plan with the team and the different steps and, and see how are the, how the, the skills of each person. And, uh, and I love uh, but what you're saying that always keep an eye on where you are in the organization what kind of what is your position don't mm -hmm. like uh, don't always think that you're on top of the maybe the team but you are part of it but yeah, yes you are you have another role to play that the direct sales uh, in retail but it is a you are part of the team you are not above it yes it's uh, it, it's great it's um Let's say somebody, yeah, want to, to work in it and they are in their first role of management. So we talked about the empathy to, to trust the, the, the team. Mm, what other, like, uh, maybe obstacles can, can they, they encounter? Maybe, like, uh, let's say they have a vision. How can they maybe sell that vision? Is there any 
advice or tips that you, you, you recommend to kind of embrace and lead the teams toward where you want to go? They have to be very aware of the setup uh, that they are handed in. Uh, and they have to be aware of who they are. I'm a very good, um, as I said, I'm a bulldozer. So I like to build. I'm very bad at maintaining things. So I like to start from scratch, like new team or sometimes new store. That was the case of Printemps. I was very good because they were refurbishing the whole store. And so I came out to bring a new uh, behavior, new selling ceremony. So there were things to build. I'm a builder. So I knew that I was a good fit for the problematic, the problems and the problematics that the store had at the time. And I left when I realized that my job was done and I was bored. So you have to be aware of that, which kind of manager you are. Very important mm. because there is as much manager, there, is, there are problems and brands. And if you know your style, then you can go and search for brands in a stage where you can bring something, add value. Um, of course, the obstacles, it's, it's um, another one, but for me, it's not a real one, but it's an excuse that often you will be brought to you um, because you have the store, the merchandising, the client, um, and the team. And Often to make moves, sometimes you need to invest, so you need money. But you can do a lot. That's the, the power of retail. You can do so many things in retail without money. But it will bring money, and then you can prove. You will need proof. Retail is a field. Uh, it's really the field. Um, is the field part of industry, the industry. It's less. It's a little bit. It, it makes dreams. The clients. You don't build a dream because... It's built by the brand. It's built by the top creators, the art directors and stuff. You are here to sell. You have to be very conscious of that. The people and the money. When you're a manager, you have to make sure that the sector, the people bring more money. Your added value has to bring something to the team and into your space that brings out more money. It's retail. That is it. So uh, money will often be an issue because usually when you arrive at the retail part, the money has already gone. <laughs> uh, but you need to show that you are able to create things that will add values. So it doesn't seem like it, but creativity is something that can be uh, necessary, but that, don't, that doesn't seem necessary. So often in, in, in retail, they say, oh, we need for you to be able to hold your store and manage your team. Yes, but to do that in 2023, where people come and go, where clients have access to newness everywhere, they can buy on Instagram, they can buy on a website. So if they take the, their legs, their cars to move and come into your store, you have to bring something new. Uh, so this creativity, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's necessary, but can be an obstacle because your organization and organization in general, except some of them, luxury is different, but in basic retail or mid-luxury retail, they sometimes don't seem, they don't think that it's necessary. They don't think that it's uh, accurate in the store. They think that creativity is only for the clothes. And in 2023, it's not true anymore. The main problem, the main issue here is traffic. 
And you have to show, you have to transform that obstacles, that obstacle, sorry, uh, into something that can be a, a, a motivator. Uh, because you will encounter it. I encounter it in all my positions as a, as a manager in retail um, that, oh, but in retail, no more money. So how are you going to do this and how going to, are you going to do that? There is always a way. There is always a I way. It. It's, um, I think it's a, it's a perfect like, uh, turning point to about like what you were saying earlier, the creativity the fact that you like to build. And uh, and I wanted to go to entrepreneurship. I know yes. it's something that you you, you, you care about. And uh, I think those, uh, those three elements, also the lack of money at the beginning of an entrepreneurship uh, mm -hmm. project, uh, kind of encapsulate what it is to, to build something. So I, I, I want to go there uh, next. But just before... Uh, Remember when we were talking before the, the podcast, you said that uh, there is a limit of where you can grow into the, yes. the fashion industry, in that it, it is an accessible universe, but there is some limits. Maybe can you talk a little bit about that before we jump into the entrepreneurial part of your, your, your path? Okay. Um, hmm, very, very, very interesting question. Um, First limit is the reality of uh, the industry. Um, there is where the industry and the industry leaders and uh, actors want you to be. Mm -hmm. And there is a reality of where you can go. The glow and the shine is the 1%. Huh? So mm -hmm. the masses, they are either near the product or in retail. And uh, in retail, sometimes, Uh, it can be very it can seem very long for them to at some point for them to let you go through uh bigger roles because those bigger roles make more money and the people who are at the role if they are enjoying their money they are not ready for new talents to come yet so i encounter a lot of um how do you say that um Immobilism, I think we say. I don't know if you say that, but yeah, I encounter kind of a lot stillness. of uh, stillness. Thank you, the perfect word. I encounter a lot of stillness uh, into the industry because, first of all, it's a fashion, and especially in women fashion, there is a lot of men. So it's a big boys' business. I always say, look at the three, look at Amazon, LVMH, and Zara, who are in the top five of the retailers, men, 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 uh, dominating women uh, businesses. We are mostly consumers, but not in the decision part that much. So therefore, there is a first step. Second of all, uh, I didn't see, I think there is, there were no director, except Paolo Di Cesare, who was an Italian, but there was no director who looked like me, like women, black women, into just the, 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 the jobs just after the sales manager job. Because the sales manager job, there is a lot of them. Then you have the, the, the business director. Then you have the, the national business directors. And then the, then the other uh, board uh, uh, and uh, corporate jobs, like the top corporate jobs. And uh, so I was like, okay, am I going to make it really? 
because th- this also is a limit. If you don't see people who look like you, you could be the first. But what is it going to take? You also have to be conscious of that. And uh, I was like, okay, am I really going to go fast as I am living my life on that route? And I was like, that at that time, 2012, 2013, 2014, it was 2014, 2015. I said, no, because I could see who my director was pushing. I was very creative and, and, and bringing a lot of money. So she was like, I prefer for her to stay here because yeah. then I can shine with her work. And then I can go up. And I was like, and it's, I'm very cool with that. You know, you have to be very conscious again and pragmatic about how the market works. Either you're naive uh, and then you can be very hurt and it can really uh, crush you. Or you are aware. It can, it will hurt also, also, even if you are aware. But at least you can have options. So that's how, what happened to me. I was I worked in a, on a huge operation. Uh, at Quantum, it was called Les Huit Jours en Or. It's a huge operation that makes a lot of money. The first time, my, my role grew. So I had to lead the other sales manager. It was another step towards me growing in the organization. And I realized that... Uh, so the first time, I, sh- I really messed it up. It really went bad with the other sales manager. And I... Because I was too... Uh, um, top down and the second time I said okay I'm going to completely change my management style and I'm going to build with my with my peers because they are also uh, not friends I would say but people that I spend day to day with we have good relations we eat at lunch together and so I want them to shine I'm not uh, I'm not here to do anything bad to them you know so that time we did that and uh, the second time it was a huge success because we all work we're hand in hand with the buyers who are girls too, with, me, with the buyers and us. Because before it was, you know, in retail, there's a lot of um, competition and fights between the marketing, the buyers and the sales. But at Printemps, uh, on my level, I try to have a good relationship with all of them because I realized that in the department store, you need them to succeed too. So it was a huge success and so strong that my boss... And that, that's, how, that's how I learned the, the hard way what the industry uh, can do to you is that she, she shadowed me. She put me aside because we had the president coming to see the operation because he was happy. He could see the money coming in. You know, they all have that on their phones. Huh? And so they did all the floors. And then I said, I, they had a time they were supposed to come. And I waited, I waited, I waited. This is weird. I was supposed to be called so that I can walk on all the floors with um, with my boss and the president. And she didn't do it. My boss, she pushed me away. When they arrived, uh, the sales director, Felipe Concalves, he just told me discreetly, very quickly, keep cool. Because he knew what was going on. He said, keep cool. Just do what you have to do. We are finishing the term. And I said, but I waited for you guys. He said, she didn't call you. So she said, but don't worry. He told me we're walking and, you know, talking discreetly. I have to talk at the same time, presenting to the president. Then sometimes you, you are with the director and say, keep cool. We're going to get her at the end. I said, okay. So I shared what I've done. And then it was, I was so touched. It was um, my peer, the buyer, 
who I worked with at the time. Paola, her name was. Paola said at the end, she said, and I had I couldn't done it without Laura. So she was the first one to give me flowers because she knew also what she, what my boss was doing. And then all the directors, so it was the president, it was my sales director from France for France and the store director. They all look at my boss. She was livid because she knew that she didn't do what she was supposed to do as a manager because she was very afraid. You know, it's a so many, it's very less women. She was in her forties at the time. It's hard. It's hard. This is the reality of, of being uh, in your career. You also are facing difficulties to keep your job, to grow steadily because you are always challenged by new people who can come and take your spot. And if you're not confident enough, you can do bullshit. So that's what she did. And they celebrated the boss of Paola, telling uh, it was Sarah de Clito, incredible woman, tough, very tough, but incredible woman. Sarah was pregnant with her big stomach like this. And Paola was next to her and she said, Paola leaded everything with Laura. So she also gave me flowers. And all the boss, they look at Sarah, they say, they say, bravo. And then they look at Virginie like, and what did you do? I didn't say nothing, but it hurt so bad because of the energy and the work that I put in the company. And I thought, but lesson of my father, you cannot change someone. So if I stay there, it's going to happen again. So it's best that I find a way to leave. Wow. And I left. Full circle. We go Full back circle. to that. Yes. You have to, there is things that we are always having for or against where our parents, but some things are true and we have to, you have to use that. And I was like, okay, either I can stay and rot there at the same spot for too long, or I can go and try to make something different. Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. Until the end of the year, I'm offering a whooping 50% off my usual rate. That means you can get one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me for only 60 euros per hour. But here's the catch. There is only 100 hours of discounted session available. Why? Let me tell you. As a coach, I'm always looking to improve my skills and help my clients achieve their goals. That's why I've decided to pass the level one of the International Coaching Federation known as ACC, for Associate Certified Coach. To obtain this certification, I will need to complete at least 100 hours of coaching over the next 12 months. And I want you to be part of the journey. So if you want to discover coaching or know someone who might benefit from it, please reach out on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards. Whether you are facing more personal or professional challenge or want to get clarity on your next career move, I will be able to help. I have experience in a wide range of topics, including self-confidence, work-life balance, team communication, as well as management and leadership. And if you are going through a career transition or need help assessing your skills, that's one of my specialties. Again, reach out on LinkedIn at Lucas Silva Edwards, and let's talk during a 30-minute complimentary meeting. And I realized there was a loophole in the business. Young designers couldn't get into department stores because the old business model was you need to have 200 
thousand euros upfront to launch your collection. Most young designers don't have that. Therefore, I said, but let me, but wait, what is the department store? It's just a place with spots, good energy, events, and clients. Am I capable of creating that somewhere else? That's how my story in entrepreneurship started. It was the boom of what we call in French, tiers lieu. It's like uh, incubators, accelerators, places that are uh, living spaces in between work and life. But most of them had difficulties bringing people there. So I use that and I use hotels, telling them that I was going to, to leverage that uh, image by bringing traffic. And I did it. It was called Etipop. And I was like, okay, I have to be on a niche because if I'm where everybody else is, there is no value. And there was a lot of people already doing pop-up stores. So I said, okay, I'm going to focus on what I think is going to be the future because it was the, in 2011, 2012, it was the boom of the Sleep Francais, of Cezanne, all those brands that were focused on craftsmanship made in uh, France or sustainability. And I was like, yeah, but let's gather all those people together and show that it's cool. And that's how it, it started. So I started sh uh, showcasing brands that were doing very cool things. It's just that they had no place to meet with their clients or to sell directly yet, because now some of them grew up. And uh, that's how my route to entrepreneurship started. So I did that for three years. And then I also learned the limits of entrepreneurship in Paris. When the big, you know, when you're an entrepreneur in Paris and you have no money, I started with a thousand euros. I went up to 30, 40,000. Uh, steadily, I did a lot of things alone or with uh, freelancers. And thank God, with the brands and with social networks. So I was the I was taking care of the communication. I had some communication hack strategies, bringing the traffic on the pages of the designers. Then all they were posting, so it would bring people to the event, and all those people will we will see all the designers, and then they will buy. It was a, a huge success, especially on the Christmas period. Uh, it led me also to be uh, the partner of a brand, Les Recuperables, for a year. And then, uh, uh, but I'm always about the added value. And after three years, designers, department stores, starting to do things around sustainability and their own pop-up stores and their own conferences and stuff. And I was like, okay, no more added value for me. I opened a door. It's cool. Let me switch. So I rebranded. I stopped all the retail parts. I focused on the coaching uh, and, and the consulting part. And my focus was, okay, you have to teach innovation in fashion and uh, sustainability in fashion to the new generation. So I was doing that in many schools, uh, school programs, and I uh, was coaching and consulting for few brands uh, who are growing. So I also did that. It was called Phoenix Brain Rising. I did that also for three years. And then, boom! COVID. COVID. <laughs> I did the that for three years. COVID. So it was eight years of independency, entrepreneurship, uh, visibility, and a uh, bit of money. I was living my life. And then COVID. It's... Um... It's true, COVID changed uh, everything. 
And um, I want I want to go back uh, quickly in uh, in one of the things that you you, you talked about. Uh, of course, the entrepreneurship, and there, we can double click on that because there is so many topics uh, on it. But um, to end up with the, the story about the, the printemps, yes, and the in the limitations, and uh, and I think it just oh, go back yeah. to also um, to your your story about management and what does it mean to you know to build something with the team. And it's true that sometimes you have some managers, bosses, uh, that they forget that they. they they need to put their employees or, te or teammates, uh, let them shine. Because if they mm -hmm. shine, the boss shine as well. It's not, uh, it's not something negative uh, for them. And, uh, and it's always go back to the empathy and how confident you are about your own, uh, own skills and your own philosophy. Because yes. that's exa your example is the perfect example. It's like, um, okay, I don't feel appreciated here. I don't see like people trying to help me grow inside the company. So I'm just going to leave. And yes. it's worse because you were the money maker. So it is what it, it doesn't make sense at all to try to, uh, yeah, don't give the credit where it deserves to somebody that, uh, you know, brings a lot of value to the company just for That's the ego, thing. egotistical the reasons. Yeah. I think uh, there is a great there is an author that I love uh, that can that can go back to the limitation because ego is one of the huge limitations that you will find in uh, organizations and thank mm -hmm. you for bringing this up uh, Ryan Holiday a lot of people know him some people don't but I love him uh, I love I'm a stoic him. I'm a stoic as well I think it also is a philosophy that really helped me to to but I didn't really still this is the K though but I I I, I think. Uh. It yeah, is the best I read one. <laughs> Really? Okay, I read I Ego so. is the enemy. Obstacle is the way. Definitely. Ego is the enemy. And I'm reading mm. the perennial seller at the moment, which is in, uh, one true. of his first books. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm inside. So I love this guy. And Ego is definitely an, an, a limitation that you will find, especially in places where money is made. And uh, the question you have to ask yourself is, is it bringing peace to me to go into conflict? What is going to bring peace to me? Do I have an impact uh, if I'm going to war against my organization? What can I really change? You cannot change the people. You cannot change. As long as you repeat that, you will be safe. You cannot change the people around you. Or, so how are you going to function in order to, to hit your goal? Each time you get into the company, you have to have a clear goal of what you want to do in it and 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 where you are going with it. So I knew also that Quentin was at my life job. If if they had helped me to grow into the organization, I could have stayed a little bit longer, but I was very aware of how the, the market in the industry was, was structured. And you see, um, Paris is a place where you can do a lot of things, but when you go back to smaller cities, you also realize the difficulty uh, to go from the floor to the headquarter. They don't. They, it's like they don't want people from the stores to to grow into the headquarters. It's something that they don't want. Why? I don't know because they are the best. But in some organizations, that is the case. It's like the is the is not the we don't mix uh, 
the people from the floor, from the people from the headquarters. And I don't know why. But um, yeah, ego is definitely ego. Ego is one of the worst things you will find as a limitation in the organization. And also, um, what, what did I find? So I told you people looking like me, ego. What was the other limitations? I would say jealousy in some way, no? Sometimes. Sorry? Jealousy. Sometimes this. Yes, but you cannot control. This is another lesson, but it's not for my father. Uh, you cannot change people and you cannot control how people feel or how, like, it's, ex it's, ex it's external. The only thing you can control is yourself. As a manager, this is something you really have to keep in mind. So I, I suffer from that. Because when you start as a young, especially when you are young, you want people to be not your friends, but you want, you mm. think it's like that, you know? Me, mm. I take jobs and organization like another playing field. So I like to have this great energy and, and way of feeling with people. And I actually sometimes encounter that, but at, in the end, I was like, okay, well, people always want things they don't have. And if they are not, uh align with themselves i cannot do any nothing for them and i'm gonna waste time because it already happened to me in the past trying to make them feel comfortable and confident while you are only trying to do your own things and your own life and not trying to if you're always trying to make sure that other people feel at ease you will be the one not being aligned with yourself so at some point i just try to you have to be maybe discreet i don't know efficient but uh don't brag it's, it's useless. Your results, especially in an organization, they will speak and then use them at the right time to push when you go to get, you want to get uh, another post. That's what I did. And I saw that the push was not successful. I left. Yeah. I think but you have to a, be very a, clear a of what you are getting, wh what you want to get. You have to be yeah, very clear on exactly. that. It's true. It's true. It, uh, and it just go back to what you were saying. You cannot change people. You cannot change organization. And sometimes, especially I think at the beginning, we give uh, a lot of our, ourself or energy to the to the job, and it, it's almost become part of our identity, and that's where we sometimes get our value from. Yes, and, uh, and we confuse that we are not what we do; we are way beyond that. Uh, yes, and um, and because of that, that's my my opinion. Because of that, we. We try to bring more value to the organization as you know, new project, new ideas, new things. But we forget that sometimes the organization is not ready for that. That's not it's not yes. aligned with where they're going. And we feel frustrated and yes. we, we disagree and uh, we start to feel uh, bitter towards the manager, towards the organization. And it's 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 human, it's part of uh, how we feel and it's totally let's say normal to feel to have those feelings. But I love what you were saying that it's also you need to be honest with yourselves. Like, would I grow in this organization if the things are like that? Would I be able to change them for where I am? And if the answer to those questions is not, it's like, okay, it's maybe time to move on or to reassess how I can bring value to the organization. And that's yes. up to you. And we go back to that idea of what is the vision what is the plan? What are the steps? And it yes. Be inside the organization or outside, but it's for you. You are the one in charge of, uh, of that to answer that question, not the organization. No, 
and uh, it there is change, there is growth, and there is evolution. Growth and evolution is in your control, like but change no change occurs because you work on how things can grow and evolve evolve the word is very important because you are going from somewhere to somewhere else and you have mm -hmm. to see you know you always have those seminars once or twice a year in an organization where they present the results and then the vision yeah. i was very aligned with the evolution of printemps so mm -hmm. things were so easy because they wanted to compete with uh, the big boys, the big uh, department stores on the world, on the on a world was worldwide uh, scale, which means which meant at the time, sorry, okay, um, they want this and that, I gotta do it. They wanted to do entertainment because they wasn't doing any. Okay, I'm gonna do it because that's what the other big boys are doing. I had reference point. You have to be very observant and uh, analytical about. What are the problems and the problematic that your organization are hire, hiring you for? Because you are hired because they see something in you that will be able to solve a problem that they have. It's, it's very simple and it always comes to that. Yeah. Oh, that's why align everything with the organization. Mm -hmm. And if we continue on the more entrepreneurial path, what are the... The advice you could give somebody say okay I'm done with the organization I think I did my time it's time for me to you know create my own value what advice would you give after six or seven years of uh, entrepreneurial project Oof, uh, know yourself uh, being a hustler is hard <laughs> being you know it Lucas so I, I was hustling yeah. <laughs> um, it's as hard as being in an organization. Both are hard because both are yeah. both has uh, have sorry uh, their advantages and disadvantages. Both have um, things that will uh, push you outside of your comfort zone. And uh, for sure, being in an organization is the security. You have a, a, a chunk of money coming in your pockets each month but there are a lot of constraints and frustrations and and uh, rules and regulations obligations that and responsibilities that comes with the job and entrepreneurship it's freedom of time of course but clients get your time so unless you build businesses that don't depend on that and that depend on 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 um, making money while you sleep so it's uh, investing or it's uh, it can be uh, information, the, the, the whole um, training and uh, education uh, business online. Unless you sell what you are sleeping on a level that makes you live, uh, you are always dependent or codependent of something, either the organization or your clients. So somehow, or the platforms, because you have to push your content. Um, and entrepreneurship is also dealing with yourself it's also dealing with your capacity capability and uh, capacity to focus to stay concentrated to manage your time to um uh, do make we have to do and make compromises with your family with your friends uh it, it, the level of uh, rigor when i used to lose money uh, on the my floor working at Printemps, it's not my money. 
It comes up, <laughs> it comes down. We do a briefing, we throw solutions, we try. It doesn't work. We do our best. It's a people business. So mm. the, the, the organization depends on the people, but they cannot blame the people. They do their best. Or we try. Mm. When it's your business, a day money doesn't come and you are on a certain level of, uh, um, of bills <laughs> getting yeah. out, you need to get that money in and there's no relaxing thinking, oh, tomorrow it's going to be. No, you have to find a solution now because time is the only currency you cannot allow to waste. It's a, it's a different. But the upside is, and it's another limitation. In an organization, you will always be limited to a grill of salary. In entrepreneurship, it's unlimited. If tomorrow this podcast hit a million uh, listeners, the power of transformation is huge. And maybe just being on a radio station uh, in a radio company will never bring you that. You get what I mean? So you have to be very aware of the lifestyle, your goals, and also what your uh, personality and mindset and uh, what is joy for you. Building mm. things, as I said, bring joys to me. So I was already an entrepreneur at Printemps. I did so many things that I built that didn't exist. Until I came to touch the limits of the organization. And I was like, ah. This is too much. I cannot go further. I'm leaving. But in entrepreneurship, it's uh, limitless. My only boundary is myself. So. I think those are, are great uh, words to, to finish this, uh, this conversation. Uh, Laura, thank you again for, for your time, for your wisdom. You're welcome. For your vulnerability in your stories and your transparency about this, uh, your journey and uh, the reality of this industry it's been a such a, a pleasure to talk to a you great uh, time. again and, and thank you for everything you you gave during this conversation thank you for having me lucas did you feel it did you feel that passion and energy that makes laura such a charismatic leader i believe this conversation has been one of my favorites so far authentic vulnerable full of gems and practical advice. So what can we keep from this conversation? Number one, working in this industry is tough. So you need to work on yourself in order to learn fast, to bring value, and to increase your capacity to overcome challenges. Number two, remember that managing and leading is not about changing people and expect them to do what you want. It's first and foremost a collaborative act where empathy is key and where fostering the uniqueness of each member of the team is fundamental. Number three, get clarity on where you are going and in which context you are in. Always strategize on how to leverage this context toward your own personal goals. And keep in mind to really take the time to choose the battle worth fighting for. If you are still hearing this, thank you so much for tuning in. I know how much your time is valuable. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. 
If you have any questions, comments, or requests, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Until next time, I wish you a wonderful day.